Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. After Party Pod is brought to you by the book Ending Addiction for Good, which is by Cliffside Treatment Center founder and CEO Richard Tate and Dr. Constance Scharf, Cliffside's addiction researcher. Through self-disclosure, case studies, scientific facts, and firsthand experience, Tate and Scharf explain how anyone can recover from addiction. The book is great. I'm a fan of it. And it I'm not the only one. It's received rave reviews and it made it into the VMA's gift bag. And you just know those people need to hear this message. You can get the book on Amazon, of course, or by going to their website, which is cliffsidemalibu.com. So it's Anna here. Anna, David, I hope you would know that by now. Of course, you know that. You're listening to the After Party Pod. And today, my guest, I have a real treat for you. I always have a treat for you, but I think this is an extra special treat. My guest is a young gentleman by the name of Josh Leonard. And I learned today that he he prefers or he once preferred to be called Joshua Leonard, but nobody will call him that. And we have a kind of protracted conversation about why he seems more like a Josh than a Joshua. That's kind of I can go on for a long time about names people have and whether or not those names fit them. Um, I mean, I I will have a thing where it, I re, my brain will refuse to remember somebody's name simply because my brain has decided that name does not fit them. Anyway, he fits Josh. He doesn't really fit Joshua, in my humble opinion. Um, he launched to superstardom uh, as one of the stars of the Blair Witch Project, Back when that happened, remember that? Well, then he has gone on to establish himself in all sorts of incredible ways. Um, I neglected to put his bio in front of me, and so now, of course, my brain is going blank. But he he, uh, he was in a film called Hump Day that won all of these awards. Um, he directed a movie called The Lie. He directs music videos for Morchiba and Fits in the Tantrums. And he's acted in a whole bunch of things. And he's about to leave to go shoot this movie called If I Stay, uh, starring Chloe Moretz. And it's honestly the best script I, I've ever read. I say that without hyperbole. It's just a coincidence I've read it and he um, is going to, to do that role. Um, and he's a great guy and he's sober. Um, I told you I don't put things in front of my face because this is so casual and fun. Um, I think he's sober. He just told me, I just did the interview today, 14 years, 15 years, um, a while. And we, we, we traveled 
travel still currently in in the same sort of circle in LA and um as I as I tell him you know it was just one day it sort of seemed like people my friends were saying my sober friends were saying oh hey yeah Josh Leonard you know Josh Leonard and I and I was like no I don't and I was I felt I was the only person who did not seem to know him and then I did know him and um and now I got to have a very long conversation with him that that boy can talk he can talk and then he can keep talking after that. And it's all very, very interesting. And I learned so much about him that I did not know. And so that is what's about to happen on this podcast. You may notice that the sound is exquisite. And that's because I have invested in some um, high quality equipment. And that is for you guys. That is because I was getting feedback that people liked the content of the podcasts, but they, they weren't loving the acoustics. And I take feedback and I, well, first I resent it and then I, I tend to do something about it. And um, so I hope you're pleased with the result. I feel a little bit more professional. Um, and so that is the, the new surprise this week. The new surprise coming next week, and I I personally don't love just total surprises, so I'm, I'm telling you about this thinking you're like me, which you may not be at all. Um, I'm going to be introducing a segment called House Calls with Laura House, who is actually the funniest person I've ever known. She is a comedian, and she's a meditation teacher, and she's a friend of mine, and she does my live show, True Tales of Lust and Love, as often as I can get her to do it, basically. And she's written on a bunch of television shows, and originally, when this podcast idea first came up, she and I were going to do it together, and we tried. And if faithful listeners will know that we did our very first one with comedian Carlos Herrera together and then schedules got really crazy and we couldn't do it and now she has some more time available and so I immediately nabbed her and I said let's do a section called house calls and what that is is I'm going to throw out some terms related to recovery and addiction and she is going to give her take and her take on everything is hilarious so that is something to look forward to next week for this week you get Josh Leonard you're gonna love it uh please if you like the podcast let me know. Email me at Anna at After Party Chat. Check out After Party Chat. You know, that is that is the, the parent site, the satellite site, if you will, for After Party Pod. And, um, you know, if you if you give it a star um, or five stars or wh- however many stars you feel it deserves on iTunes, that helps the ranking of this podcast and helps other people to discover it. So uh, thank you. And, and now I will introduce my guest, Joshua Leonard. No, and we're going to talk about how, um, how, okay, hi, I'm recording. Okay, great. That's and exciting. I was just about to tell you how um, the way I became aware of you was there was a certain time in my sobriety where suddenly everyone's like, Josh Leonard, you know Josh Leonard. And I kept hearing that and I go, well, no, I know who that guy is, but no, I don't know him. And, um, and I was like, no, 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 you know him. Because we had all this friend to cross over. But, but weren't you living in New York at that time? Yeah, yes, I was. Okay, so I, I think that's the caveat. Because I, yes. I, I feel like there was a little bit of the same on the flip side, but that you were Anna David in New York. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, so you're saying you entered my friend circle. I moved away and you were like, there's a spot there. I'm freaking taking it. That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Wait, is your phone off, by the way? Because I just it, remembered mine. It is, is completely mine. Okay, good, off. Good, good. So, but I do remember the very first time that I actually met you was at our friend Amanda's uh, birthday dinner. Birthday dinner. I totally remember. It was at, we had this back patio of, oh, I, I remember the restaurant. 
maybe I'm obsessed with you and we're just learning. No, I have no, and, a very good we, memory for random and things. And we like sat in the corner and gave each other shit for a while. Maybe that happened. And then happened. I wondered if we were going to have sex and then we never did. We never had, we didn't have sex. I'm no. glad we can clarify that because no, no, no. I don't tend to forget things like that in my sobriety. <laughs> Before... Before, well, you know. No, I, I, no, I think that, okay, we did give each other shit. It was at Magnolia, back patio, and it was super fun. Do you remember, um, because I believe it was this same night, I, Jessica S. Okay. Who is fairly newly sober, young. Took her shirt off? And liked to show her tits a lot. I know, I, I know that person and that, that like, that she, that desire she has to do that. I don't remember her doing it that night. She did a lot that night. I don't know where you were looking. I was talking to you. Um, okay, well, you know, I'm a guy, so I can hold a conversation and look <laughs> at boobs at the same time. Um, but she had, at the end of the night, she had one of my favorite lines of all times, which was she left after showing her boobs a bunch of times and taking up a lot of space in the conversation, but, you know, being funny and crazy and mm-hmm. new. And she was off to some club somewhere, mm-hmm. and I, I believe Andrew B. yelled out, don't get raped, to which she looked back and coquettishly tossed over her shoulder, can't rape the willing, <laughs> and left. Well, I don't want to break it. To- she didn't make that line up. Did she not make that line and up? That's a line that funny people <coughs> have been saying for a oh, while. I've been crediting her with that line for eight years now. I've de- I mean, I don't rem- I don't even remember her being there. It's like, you know, also with some people who are around, it's like I couldn't pick her out of a two-woman lineup. Like, I know who she is. We're Facebook friends. And like... I mean, you'd have, you'd have 50-50 odds. I know. I feel that's like true. I feel like you could pick her out of a two-person lineup. Out of a three-woman lineup? Yeah, no. that you might be fucked. Yeah, but okay, I'd say I have 50-50 chances on a two-woman. Like, that's what okay. I'm saying. Okay. Like, I really don't really... But I do remember early in sobriety... I mean, no, not that early. I was like, I was maybe five, and going out to lunch. So this was a daytime thing, and I remember her taking her top off at lunch, and me... I had such a confluence of emotions because I was judgmental and yet totally jealous of the attention she was getting and mad that I couldn't do things like that anymore to get attention mm. because I knew better. Yeah, you know? but she was also what? Like tw- was, oh, 21, 22, oh, and something like, like that? four minutes sober at the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't remember that. What I remember also about that night Did is, she really not invent that line? I'm so sorry. No, it's 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 Unless fine. It's she fine. She invented she, it. She's just gotten credit for that line a number of times in my retelling of the situation. Well, I mean, I don't. <laughs> so amongst a certain set, she did invent that yeah. line because I, mean, I perpetuated truth, perception that Perception is reality, exactly. right? So, so if I interviewed a, a bunch of people about it and said who invented that line, and they were friends of yours, it, you know, a hundred percent of them might say that. But I mean, unless she's randomly told like a bunch of people in New York, and then like it's filtered back. And I think I probably heard it as early as college when she might not have even been talking yet. I mean, I don't Cer- know. Certainly not having sex. Who knows? Maybe she was, you know, early, you know, so clever. She didn't need to have sex to do it. Who knows? This is what I also know. It kind of has to do with sex from that night is that Amanda and I used to have a joke that we were each other's wives. I don't remember. Oh, I do remember. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And so we took a picture together. And then I, I put on Facebook... That I was married to her, uh-huh. and that was like I was back, I was on a TV show then answering sex, dating, and relationship questions. So so people like actually cared about these things, and I started reading on message boards. Did you know that Anna David is married to a girl? And so I realized nobody it was a scandal. It was a t- I mean, 
you think <coughs> Jessica's line was a scandal, this like caused an uproar. Among you know what? I three I, people. I went. I, I mean, and welcome because I'm I'm completely complicit in it. That the. The, like, making jokes on social media yeah. is not the same as making a joke no. to three people sitting around a table. No. I, you learned the hard I, way. I mean, I posted a picture. Two of my very dearest friends in the world. Um, we all went to a movie last night. and Wait, I saw this. And you said, like, something nice about them. And I said these two forever because out of out of probably my... Four dearest friends on the fo- on the planet, like my lifer friends. Right. These are two of them, and right. I happen to be seeing a movie with them. So I said these two forever. So people think you're like a threesome. One uh, one of those people happens to be on a hit TV show and has you know seventy five thousand Twitter followers. Right. Reposted it. And all of a sudden, my buddy calls me this morning because his French girlfriend is in New York and somehow saw it. And 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 thought that I was implying that these two were together, which I wasn't. I was just saying they're mine. Like th- these are my people. These two forever. Oh my god! I, first of all, I, evidently I, I wasn't demonstrative enough, and and it started a whole bidet. That's funny. I did think about it. I saw it, and I thought, and I and I thought, who are those people? And I am so clueless. I mean, so uninterested in fame. That's not true. But I didn't recognize whoever the person is on the hit show. I was just like, oh, who are those people? I don't know them. And that's Bellamy. She's my she's my oldest friend. She's on that show Scandal, which a lot of which I think is also a show that uh, right. it lives up to its <coughs> name. That a lot of a lot of people are very intrigued as to what's going on, on both both on oh. and off screen on oh. that show. So so it, it, it may be a demographic thing as well. But no, or, but, or maybe I was implying that we were all in a polyamorous relationship. I, I, didn't, and, think, I didn't think that. I mean, I know you a little bit, so that I said to me that just you seem so like you know that was like you're like yeah, a heart feel, yeah. you know feeling guy. Like, and these two I, yeah, forever. I fucking love these people. I read it right. Cool. Thanks, Anna. Were you seeing Twelve Years a Slave? Because I saw it last night. No, we saw uh, Kill Your Darlings. Oh, oh, oh. I think nobody had it in them to see the uh, the ten forty show of Twelve Years a Slave. Because I, because you just don't even have recovery time after that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think recovery is totally possible. That is a movie that cha- that changed me. Like I really oh, wow. can't even. Are you allowed to assess that the next day? I knew it at the moment. Okay. I knew wow. it at the moment, and I and I spoke at a meeting this morning, and um, like I am somebody who doesn't get very um. Um, like emotional, you know. Uh-huh. I'm not one of these people who sort of is like, I have ten years, and like start weeping with gratitude. I'm just not that girl. And right. every year, I think maybe I'll become more that girl. Anyway, and I was sort of like, it was almost a manipulation. I was like, oh, I could be like really, I could be really emotional if I just think of this one line. Like, there's like this one line, and Pitt gave it to himself. Brad Pitt produced it, gave himself the line that is like. Oh my! And like I just would think about it. And What's get the tarried. line? No, I can't. It, and it wouldn't mean anything. What's the line? No, no. Yeah, okay. I don't even remember the exact line. It, no, 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 no. I can't even tell you that. I've already told you too much. You've got to experience it. Okay, I'll, okay. I'll see it. This is far too much um, about Twelve Years a Slave and me, and not nearly enough about what, you. It, it didn't. The over emotionalism of latter sobriety did make me. Um, so the other day. This is completely tangential. If you if you want to put, rein it back, no, in, no, that's no, because I feel like you're you're the guy who would who would cry with gratitude. I do sometimes. I mean, but but I also I cry because I'm sad once a decade. Right, I you're cry with gratitude. Dep- 
depending um, depending on how spiritually fit I'm feeling, anywhere between like once a year and six times a day. Hold um, on a second. Does our crying with gratitude relate to our spiritual fitness? This is a whole new anxiety for me. In your in your assessment, which we already know is wrong. Because yeah, yeah. I, I I I mean, wow. In in my case, I feel like. Um, if I am living in an unspiritually fit place, if I'm living in spiritual deficit, then, um, then, then gratitude and empathy are not very easily accessible to me. They, they're, they're, they're pretty deeply buried. That I agree with, but crying. That, that going okay, to the next so, so maybe that's just because I'm a pussy, and that's my no, response when I'm when, when, when I'm overwhelmed. Okay, tell anyway, me story. so th- so this is. This is this is my story about um, Wednesday, when I was officially a girl. Um, this past, but Wednesday. not 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 you, evidently, because <laughs> I have a heart in heart. Evident, evidently, I'm I'm way more girl than you are. You kind of are, but we, but we'll get to that. Okay, so Wednesday, um, I've just started seeing somebody. Right. A few months ago, I really like her, but we were avoiding any big talks at all. I'm about to leave town to go do your friend's movie yes, for five weeks. Yes. And so I figured there would be some conversation in there and which way was it going to go and where right. were we going to, where we were, where were we going to proclaim it a relationship before I left? So she's an actress. She was, um, she's been in rehearsals for six weeks to do uh, Wait Until Dark at the Geffen. And it's a hard part. I mean, they have been kicking her ass. She plays a blind girl. She's on stage the entire time. She's got like three fully blind fight sequences. She's just bruised from head to toe and has been working nonstop. Wednesday night is her opening night. Thursday morning, I happen to have a a pitch in Santa Monica. I live in Echo Park Mm -hmm. at nine in the morning. Mm. Um, which means I got to get up at like six. Leave the house by seven, get there an hour early, prep with everybody. So, um, so I just tell her, I say, you know, look, it's, it's your opening night. I'm going to be there. I'll come to the party afterwards. If, um, you know, I, I, I got to get home around midnight or so. Otherwise I'll be fucked for the next day. And she says, well, but you know, I want to go, I want to spend the night with you. And I was like, that's great. I'll go to your house or you can come to my house, whatever. But you know, it's also, it's your night if you want to rage because you're, it's your night and you're not an alcoholic. And if you want to have some drinks and stay out with your people, like you should fucking do that. Because, um, so before I'm, before I'm leaving the house, she sends me a text. She says, uh, pack an overnight bag. And I said, why? She has rented us on her big night a hotel two blocks from my pitch the next morning. Oh, wow. So we can leave the show together, go spend the night at this hotel, and I'm right there where I need to be in the morning. Which was kind of maybe the most considerate thing anybody's ever done. Right. Um, so... So that happened, and then the next morning, so we spend this lovely night together, and I don't get any fucking sleep because we're in a hotel. But at least the anxiety about getting this early, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So the next morning, um, I'm getting ready to go, and I get a text from uh, this guy, Jesus, Mm -hmm. who was my brother, uh, my brother who was in real bad shape, 
a year ago and got sober was his counselor in rehab. Uh-huh. Because Thursday, the day of my pitch, the day after her show, was my brother's one-year anniversary. And he was texting me to ask if my brother was still sober because he wanted to congratulate him, but he didn't want to do so if, right. if, if Johnny had fallen off the wagon. So I opened up that text and the flood of, you know, what was going on at this time last year, being on the phone twice a day with this guy, thinking my brother's going to die. I was single at the time. Um, I like it just all hit me at once and I just started fucking bawling. Um, and my gal was very sweet about it and I, I was, you know, two minutes before I could even tell her what I was responding to. And I was right. also on three hours sleep, so I right. was particularly susceptible. Then I show up at the pitch and MTV to meet with my writing partner, who's like the most, she's an insanely sensitive lesbian. Right. Like, like of all people you can be emotional right. around, right, right. she's the one. And I start retelling this story about what what my gal has done and my brother having a year sober. And I start crying again. Right. And finally, she just slaps me and she's like, dude, this is a pitch. You can cry all you want <laughs> later, but pull your shit together for the next hour and a half. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. So I, I pulled it together. And then I made that girl my girlfriend. Oh, how did you do that? You, you asked her. Yeah, I was just like, I think you should be my girlfriend because I'm going away and I don't want to be confused about it. How do you feel about that? And she said, I feel awesome about that. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, now, your story was very touching and led me to the conclusion that maybe I've just never had that much to be grateful for. <laughs> it's like, my head was like, oh, no I one's ever rented true. me a hotel Nobody's room. Nobody's ever rented me a hotel no, room either. No. But I think, well, I also think that since we're really, it's not about, it's who who's more girly. Like, I, I like that about you. You know what I mean? And when you, and when we talked about this amazing part that you're going to do in this amazing movie, you told me that you cried. I you did. I, okay. So, so this, I've been crying a lot lately. This Whatever. Is the podcast known as Josh Cries. Um, <laughs> so, but, but no, and I loved that, you know? Um, but also you're I mean, an I was actor. just the other day thinking about, uh, uh, Lily Taylor, some kind of wonderful, Joe Lies. That oh. was in some kind of wonderful. I think right? that was some kind of wonderful. Joe Lies when, when he, he cries. cries. Oh my song god! Up all times. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, and so um, I have a weird thing about it. it. Doesn't matter. Like, but I do have a weird thing. Like my dad used to laugh at me when I cried. Like I have a hard time. I can cry. Trust me. When's when's the last time you cried? Oh, I am female. Like I cry. You know, I cry over things being sad and not going right. I mean. It was See, certainly... I never, I can't bring my, yeah. the second I'm, I actually get hurt, I shut the fuck down. Right. That's where it's harder okay, for good. me now to Okay, good. Now I cry. feel superior to you because I was yeah, having a should. total inferiority complex no, for the last like no. 10 minutes. Okay, good. Um, no, but that I'm good at. I'm good at, ow, that hurt. I'm going to cry. I mean, I know that, that also. You're like a full human being between the two of us. <laughs> we could be perfect. Can you imagine? Can join us now. Can join us now and we'd just evidently Vancouver. be crying all the fucking time. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, I don't know how we got so sidetracked. I mean, I do know because I don't start these with any sort of rhyme or reason. Okay. But, but, so. But I feel like for the four people who are listening's sake, we should. 
We should take a hard seven. left here. Okay. For the seven people who are listening. For the eight or nine people who bother to download this. For the 14 people who are loving this right now. <laughs> who haven't stopped listening. We should try to stay one step ahead of them and, and, and take a 90-degree 90, 90 turn into something. Okay, let's talk about you. Okay. Um, and, well, I do want to – I have this dedication to doing chronological order with things because I want to get to in the end maybe the letter that you wrote your brother that that I was able to publish and how many people have reached out to me about that oh my god I'm gonna see if I can make you cry um it's happening a little no it's not no it's not, no it's no I know yeah it might happen it might happen okay yeah, but but the forewarning yeah, like you kind, you, you kind of fucked yourself yeah no, I didn't know. I know that I have one of these. I, I the, say the things challenge, before I think. Yeah, the no, challenge. No, no, no. All... Please don't cry. Please, actually, it's not allowed in this apartment. I am the only one allowed to cry here. <laughs> um. So okay. So you. Um. I learned. I. You know, because I know you, and then I went and did a little research and learned some interesting things. So. So. You know, from what I read, and you can tell me if this is all what's, true what, or not. What's true, what's not true. Yeah. What people so, have fabricated, what I fabricated. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sure. This is the real Josh Leonard. And it, you prefer Joshua, or is it more like a, like professionally you're Joshua? No, I I always introduce myself as Joshua, right. and nobody ever calls me Joshua. Yeah. And I don't really care. Right. But it's just that's just the way it goes, though. So. Yeah. So, I mean... I think that it's like, I like the I you know at like 12 or 13 I was like I'm I'm an adult I'm going to use the name Joshua Leonard. Yeah. So that's how I started. And then you're like oh nobody, nobody sees me as an adult. No, that's not why. I think there are Joshua Leonards. I mean, I'm sorry. I think there are probably are other ones. There are Joshuas who seem more like Joshuas who seem like a Josh. I mean that as a total compliment. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, you know, okay. like those people that are like, I'm Jonathan. And you're like, okay, so John, no, no, Jonathan. Like, I don't see you being a corrector. I'm never a corrector. Right. But, but, but there evidently is a difference in perception between how I see myself and how other people see me. But I think it's good. It's I think it's good. I, if people say Anna, you better believe I would correct them. Uh-huh. And try to shame them a little bit. Anna. Pretentious girls go by on. I'll say no. There, there's somebody who does it to me. Like I, I, he must be. I trying mean, can to you me. imagine either by choice or by design having one of those names that phonetically looks one way? Oh, like Seamus. But you have decided that it's going to be pronounced another way, <laughs> or your parents have decided that. So your entire life is a series of of correcting people as to the pronunciation of your name. Like, give me an example. Okay, but I do think Seamus is a good example of because I'm a very I'm, I think about letters all, uh-huh. like when I say somebody's name I'm actually spelling it out whether that makes me brilliant or retarded I'm not sure but so you, we have a friend named Seamus mm-hmm. and I'll we'll see him and I'll go hey Seamus because like my brain is spelling it your brain is seeing the letters not, yeah yeah and is going that doesn't see that but doesn't. yeah I mean, I mean Anna Anna is a perfect example is some people are Anna and some people are Anna well you know the cool people are Anna so mm-hmm. it only takes a quick snap judgment to understand what to call me <laughs> and being correct about that so anyway you um so you were like you you grew up um where exactly did you grow up um I was well I was born in Texas mm-hmm. I was born in Houston and then, um, and then around the time my mother got pregnant with my brother in 78, so I was three, 
Um, they wanted to get out of Texas, and and he took a job working for Penn State University. And he was a drama teacher. He was a drama teacher. He was artistic director at the Alley Theater in Houston when I was born, and then um, and then wanted to go into academia. Took this job uh, running a his uh, MFA directing department at Penn State and moved the family there. So my brother was actually born in central Pennsylvania. And then I was raised there until, uh, until I guess I was 15. And you were like a, you were like a bad kid, kind of. A troublemaker. I was, kind of, I, I was a wonderful kid until I was probably like 11 or 12. Right. And then I got angsty. Uh-huh. And um, and that all kind of went out the window. And then I was a holy terror. Really? For the next few years. And then wound up actually, like, leaving, leaving at 15. So it just became my problem as opposed to other people's problems. So the holy terror, what what embodied that? What were you doing? <clears throat> well, I, would, I mean, my dad was a drama teacher. My mother, um, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say my mother was a mime by trade. Which isn't exactly true. However, she did study mime for years. That's amazing. But, you know, she was a sensitive, artsy woman. She studied with Marceau Marceau in Paris. Oh, wow. Um, I think in the 60s. In the 60s, she did. Um, So, you know, and, and she was... They were... I think my dad's opening salary was like twelve grand, and my mom was working odd jobs. So we we were in my early life. Everybody was just kind of scrambling. And it's just the two of you, you and your brother. Me and my brother, um, scrambling and working all the time. But um, but that said, um, they were very sensitive, creative, artsy, kind of hippie esque right. people. We got this little rundown farmhouse. Um, in a town called Oak Hall, where our neighbors were the Gillilands and the Biddles. Nice. Um, can't make these names up. Can't make those names. I, and I didn't even realize that was weird until so much right. later in life. I didn't yeah. realize how specific those names were. Um, evidently, the Grand Dragon of the local chapter of the KKK lived about a mile and a half from us. Over nice. Um, and, and we had a little... It was like a little... Farmlet. I mean, it was run down, but we had goats and chickens, and we lived right on a stream. And <clears throat> I learned to ride the riding mower when I was seven, and we had an apple orchard. And eat. see, this sounds kind of idyllic. It was. It was totally idyllic, um, and really, and 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 I started out school in a Quaker school, mm-hmm. so I was going to Quaker school and um, and going home and being like an art seed hippie kid and collecting flowers and listening to John Denver. And then around fifth grade, they put me in public school. And I all of a sudden realized that I lived in this super redneck football town. And I started getting my ass kicked. Right. Um, And... And, um, and, and like all the creative conflict resolution of the Quaker school did not really apply. And it, and it was really, uh, uh, it it was really into the fire very quickly. Hmm. And so, so, you know, for a couple of years, I, I, I took it on the chin and I was just kind of like a dorky kid. And And they would literally just beat you up. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, all the mean things. I just can't even imagine growing up in in cyberbullying culture. Mm. You know, and somebody brought up the other day. At least, at least in you know in in the eighties, you had the respite of like walking away from it at the end of the day. What do you mean? I mean, you you went home and it stopped. Right. You know, right. and then and then you. Would go to home to my family and the right. Cosby Show or like whatever right. form of right. But now it's oppressive and twenty four seven. But but yeah, yeah. now if uh. if you're a kid who gets bullied, you just you know it doesn't it doesn't stop. You go home and it keeps going on. Did you see and... that movie that like Jason Bateman is in? Oh my God, his no. son is the in the movie is the victim of sight. It's the most intense movie about that. Can't remember what it's called, and it's a very flawed movie. So my uh. bringing it up is pointless. Go on. Um. So, so then I guess, um, I guess it took me a few years to come up with a plan Mm. for how to deal with it. So like fifth grade, fifth grade, I think I, I just, I like devised a plan so I could keep working through recess and not have to go outside and deal with playground. Did you have any friends? Um, not really. Mm-hmm. So there was just no kids like you there. Not really, because I did that weird. I mean, I guess I always had that thing that that ran in well into my junkiedom, where um, where like I was either better or worse than. Right. Where like I did not want to associate with the other dorks. Oh, right. Just, just to, to have solidarity. Just to have solidarity. Right. Um, and I definitely was not a cool kid. Right. So I was just going to, I was just going to be Rock alone. solo, yeah. I was going to be alone and I was going to be fine with that. Yeah. Um, and like build paper mache castles inside while everybody else was playing so kickball. So did your plan work? Did you, were you able to work through recess? I was. I was able to convince him to let me work through recess. And then I guess sixth grade. Sixth grade was the first time that I really got into trouble. That's when I, how old are you? 12, 12 ish? Um, 11. You're 11. Um, 11, 12. Yeah, something like that. I had started, I had start, started stealing, um, I had started stealing liquor from my parents' liquor cabinet. Mm hmm. And, um, and I, I, I hadn't even really gotten drunk at that point. I would drink sometimes, but I was using it. I decided it's almost like this conscious decision that you make when you're that young where you're like, Oh, I'm going to be a bad kid. Right. Because I didn't necessarily, maybe if you have an older brother or something, I didn't have a template. So, and so nobody (coughs) introduced you to the idea of drinking. Like, how did you even know that that was an option? You just sort of saw Saw. Yeah, my I mean I mean my pop drank every day. He wasn't right. he wasn't an alcoholic, but he was you know he was somebody who would come home from work and have a beer or right. a glass of sherry or something, and um, and yeah you know culturally I think you know at a very young age you start getting imprinted as to what's cool right um, via media and and. Um, and so I remember, and then there were like porn magazines that, like Playboys that we'd stolen. 
I did know this one kid, the friend that I'd had from Quaker school, and he lived on a, he lived on a farm outside of town. They were like a full apple and basset hound farm. And at one Adorable. point, he told me that uh, one of the family's farmhands had a stack of Playboys under his uh, under his bed out in like the back cabin. It's another. I, I mean. When I tell these stories, it's like it's like I'm the old guy. It's like back in my day. Well, no. I mean, it's just think about how much has changed in our lifetime. It's I've got friends with teenage kids who yeah who are like every time I go on his computer, he's erased the history. Yeah, like, it's just so we planned a fully covert um, reconnaissance mission to, to go them. get these playboys. Um, so then I started showing up to sixth grade. Keep talking. I'm getting you a water. Okay. So. Thank you. With, uh, with little bottles of vodka uh-huh. and Playboy magazines. And the social currency of those things is, is pretty big. So even though, even though I was a bad kid, that was like, like I was kind of the go-to guy. No uh, more paper mache at recess. No, 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 no. And that... And that you know that really tai chi'd the uh, the power back in my direction, until one of the one of the fellow reject kids found out this and decided to make a power play and narc me out. To the teacher. To the principal. So I remember because because I I had I had a good run. It was probably like a few weeks where That's where not very long though. I at that time but it's it like a everything. lifetime. Yeah, it's 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 a lifetime when people are like, "Hey, what are you doing in recess? You want to come out?" And, right. And um, and sneaking, sneaking into the cornfield out behind our school and taking little nips of vodka and you know feeling feeling cool. Right. And then uh, I think it was Ben Maddie. Ben Maddie found out about all this, and he was not cool. Like I, he was not cool at. at he was at, jealous at at me raising my social station. Yeah. So he narked me out, and I knew I knew it was happening. Somebody gave me the heads up that it was happening, and I remember getting to the end of day at school that day and thinking, I'm going to make it out of here because I'd only been, by the time I found out that he'd narked me out, I was in the classroom like last period headed to the bus. So I couldn't even go to the bathroom. I couldn't right. get rid of, rid of the evidence. Right. <clears throat> so I remember walking, walking down the hallway towards the bus, um, like the scene in the movie where like, you're just about to make it to freedom yeah. and hearing Josh Leonard right. screamed from behind me. And I just kept walking until I was tackled from behind by the gym teacher. <laughs> And I tried to run, and he uh, he pulled me back and threw me in the office. I tried to run again, and it was like I was like a weird, geeky sixth grade kid, and they were blocking me. And then they finally got my backpack and searched it, and found uh, found a couple Playboys and and some vodka. Yeah. And uh, and I remember I remember it occurring to me that night because they sent. They sent me home and they were like, we'll, we'll deal with this tomorrow. And I remember that night trying to come up with all the ways that I could potentially get out of it. Um, 
one being could I break into the school, steal back the evidence, and then they couldn't prosecute me. I mean, I was working in right. this lawyerly pretend way. That they, they were pretend mistaken. that they never found it or that it was just water in that bottle. <laughs> um, but I didn't do any of those things because that wasn't that cool. I mean, and it was National Geographic, not Playboy. Replace the magazine. Exactly. That would have been some commando cool shit. That didn't work. Go on. Anyway, so that happened. I got suspended for a while. But, but you know, the seed was already planted. Um, you know, illegal shit makes you cool. And so... I guess, and did drinking do something for you, too, that like, you, you, unleashed... You, you know, if I was 12 at that point, it probably wasn't until I had just turned 14, like like late 13 or 14, that I actually got drunk for the first time. Mm. So you were more just passing it around. I I was completely using it for the social currency Yeah, okay, of it. interesting. Um, I mean, I was a drug dealer for years. And, and later. 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 I mean, you know, kind of 16 to 18 or so. Um. But uh, and 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 such a huge part of that was was just the social currency of being the guy the guy so who had the shit. Um. So yeah, what happened? I went to junior high. Seventh grade sucked. I started getting into a lot of trouble. Eighth grade, I went to an alternative school. Kind of all bets were off at that point. I mean, it was really it was one of those schools where if you were brilliant in self discipline, you could have a really great program. But it was kind of a combination between those kids and like straight up criminals, right? And right, and you know, and the, and you could kind of get by like no grades or something crazy. No, like that. we we actually had uh, my phys ed class was taught by a woman named Karen Grubb. Mm-hmm. It's like 275 pounds and a chain smoker. And the class was actually called Making Hard Balls Go Where You Want Them To. And it was bowling and miniature golf and pool. <laughs> and that was our gym class. And we would go to the bowling alley and we would chain smoke cigarettes with Karen Grubb <laughs> and get gym credit for it. By the way, as an adult who does not know how to play pool, I wish I had been taught that in school. It's 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 kind of a cool thing to. I mean, to know. I'm sad now that I don't. What what is it they say? Uh, good pool player is a sign of a misspent youth. Oh, is that what they say? I, I think I, there's something. About I that. I had some what of a misspent youth, so apparently it doesn't cover all. You where'd you grow up? I grew up in Marin County. Oh, okay. So, like, very well dressed derelicts there. You know what I mean? <laughs> you were just you were blacking out behind the wineries every night. Yeah, no, I mean it was uh, like, when we I got so fucked up at, at Coppola's Vineyard, man. It was crazy. <laughs> no, that was not the that vibe. Malbec really laid me out. <laughs> no, um, it was more like when I was in high school. I was just talking about this at the thing I was talking about before. Um, the Grateful Dead. I mean, like I'm old, so it was like the Grateful Dead. Like all of them were still alive. Sure, and that was the vibe. That was what everybody did. You know. Um, very, I think addiction is very like accepted and commonplace there. I mean, kids at my high school, um, got, got sober. One of them is still sober and lives in LA and like, you probably know that guy and like he's sober 30 years or whatever it is. No, I mean, 10 years. I just graduated. Um, but, um, seven years, seven, eight, eight, something like that. Um, so anyway, so then you dropped out of school. 
I read. Is that true? So then, yeah. So I made it through the alternative school. Essentially what happened was um, I even wound up getting into massive trouble there. Um, and then I, and then I was just, I had really started drinking and using just all the time. So I was like, I, these minimal classes that they want me to go to, like, that's too much. I'm I'm not going to do that. So I had been, you know, I had been truant for so long at one point that they essentially just withdrew me from my entire school district. Uh, and then I was still in town and I would go back and I'd sell weed to, uh, kids at the high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is, this is also tangential, but maybe interesting. Um, I remember, I remember going back and this social studies teacher named Daryl coming out cause I was kind of on school property, but you know, like fucking McConaughey and dazed and confused. Right. Like just hanging out on the outskirts and uh, and him coming out and his face just being bright red. red, going, if you ever fucking show up on this property wow. again, I will have you dragged away in handcuffs. Um, which was true until about seven or eight years ago when they invited me back to be an alumni speaker, <laughs> which I desperately wanted to do. Um, and and all, was trying to work out the date. And ultimately couldn't because I couldn't get out of this job that I was working on uh, for the dates needed. And and I, I wrote with deep apology that I wasn't going to be able to make it back. And they said, it's okay. We had Jerry Sandusky as a backup. He's going to fill in for you. <laughs> pre-scandal. Pro, oh, pre-scandal. Yeah, this was seven, eight years ago. But he was, he was like the hero, one of the heroes. Now you hometown. are. Now you are the hero. Nine. Well, wait a minute. I I, I think to, to to like six or seven people and well, I mean, kind, kind of the shame him. of the others. Yeah, because um, not as much. I mean, he definitely replaced me in terms of bringing public shame to the town. I would say so. I would say so. Um, but I can't believe you were that guy. You were like that. Oh shit. You know, the teacher's kind of confabbing. Josh, did you hear Josh Leonard's here? Yeah. He's, did you know he's stealing drugs, Joshua? Oh, my God. Did you know? Like, you were that kid. No, I was totally that kid. But and, and, and at the same time, imbued with, you know, high school dropout, but but from an educated, uh, from an educated family. So, I was, you know, I was sensitive. I could hold a conversation. Right. I, I, I think people would have probably said precocious. Right. Like, like fucking annoyingly so i'm sure um you know 14 and i was like i'm an adult right don't fucking tell me what to do i'm an adult and you're dumb right um but i remember it and this sounds like um this sounds like one of those things that people make up and 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 it's not i remember the first time i blacked out I was about 14, and I had this uh, 19-year-old goth friend named Art. And uh, and we went to his parents' house, and we made a bunch of, like, blender drinks and just drank blender drinks until I fully fucking blacked out and woke up in a pile of my own vomit. Mm-hmm. Passed out in a guest room that had no furniture in it on the floor, just my face... Ouch. In in my own vomit no. on a Berber carpet, with his mother standing above me, with uh with like a bowl of hot water and four oh nine and just like throwing it in front of my face, going clean it up, mm. 
And then later that day, after cleaning it up and like trying to slink out of the house unnoticed, I passed by the dining room. Art was still asleep at this point where his mother was talking to one of her friends. And I passed by as I heard the words, and he seemed like such a nice boy. Oh, God. Um, so, okay. So, so yeah. And so then you left. So then I left. I, 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 I wound up, I was 15 when I got kicked out of my school district. Um, uh, made a deal with my parents that, uh, I mean, and there was, you know, shit that happened in between. I had to go to summer school. I got thrown in a uh, boy's home for a while because I was incorrigible and kept getting arrested in my hometown. For drug, drug dealing? Um, for drug possession, for stealing, and and also for, I think they literally call it incorrigibility, where my parents yeah. would be like, you're 15, come home. And I'd be like, fuck you, I'm not coming home. Um, and, and one time I got into actually a, a physical confrontation with my father. And they called the cops, and the cops came and dragged me off to, to the holding cell, and then a social worker showed up, you know, and my wow. parents did, were like, we're not taking you back. Yeah. And I got sent for a couple months to a, uh, to a boy's home um, outside Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. And I just remember the first night in the boy's home, um, like, you know, sweet, fucked up educated white kid in a room full of of kids who have been in the system right you know most of their lives and just and and the conversation that went on the first night I was there I was I was laying in my bunk bed and somebody was like hey Jimmy Jimmy come on come on over here and whack my shit it's like I ain't gonna whack your shit you know it feels better when somebody else whacks your shit and then and then what seemed like the entire room started making deals as to who was going to whack, whack whose shit. Oh my God. And then I sat there and listened to at least a few of these guys like jacking each other off. Oh my God. And I was like, where am I? Wow. What the fuck happened to my life? Right. <clears throat> and I was 15. Um, so I went to summer school. Um, I wound up doing a year at a boarding school in Michigan. Um, and that was kind of the deal. Like make it till you're 16 and we'll emancipate you and you can go off and do whatever the fuck you want. So, so, uh, 15 to 16, I was at this boarding school and then I found a program after that year that would take me, it was kind of like a Peace Corps type program, but it was one that would take me as a minor, take me at 16. And, um, and I came home that summer, uh, back to Pennsylvania from Michigan and, and kind of had a big blowout and then, uh, moved to Southern Mexico for what wound up being a year and a half. And by then you were almost 18. No, I was 16. I was okay. 16. And I was counting a year and a half, so I was saying almost 18. Oh, by the time I came yeah. back, yeah. I'm trying to get you to New York. How, oh, you're trying you... to get me to New York. Well, Why no, didn't you I'm just say that? I'm enjoying the... Because I'm enjoying the journey. I'm just subtly manipulating and guiding you. Okay, so... So I was down there, no drinking age, got really fucked yeah. up, learned to speak Spanish pretty fluently... 
Um, I have a question. Yeah. The drugs at this point was just pot, or were you doing other things? Oh, um, no. I mean, early on, 14 was like pot and booze and acid, a lot of acid. Uh, Mexico was pot and hash and booze and coke, which I started doing for the first time down there. Um, I still don't think I've ever had coke that was as good as the coke in Mexico. Well, yeah. Pretty close to I source. I don't know if you ever had the, um, the coke in Paris. I never had the Coke in Paris. I mean, I can't talk about wines, Braggart. but I can talk about the Coke in Paris. That was like, I, it was like, sm- wow. it was like snorting heaven. It was, that, I, it was unbelievable. I mean, it's <laughs> disgusting to me now, but, but it was, yeah, at that time it hit the spot. Go on. Sure. Yeah. No, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, See, now I'm, I'm jealous of that experience that I never had. Um, um, what happened? <clears throat> came back, came back, I uh, got into a little more trouble, lost my virginity, um, got into, decided I wanted to try college, got into this college, uh, super liberal hippie school in Washington State, um, called the Evergreen State College, moved across the country to Olympia, Washington, made it like a semester at that college, um, and had met a gal, mm-hmm. my, my first real girlfriend, Courtney, uh, when, when I was back in, in Pennsylvania for the minute before I left for school. And, um, and she came out. I started doing meth at this point, which was just crank at that yeah. time. Um, because my house in Tumwater, Washington was right next door to a Harley biker family. And so I was kind of in the hippie school and I was getting mushrooms from Eugene, Oregon and a lot of weed and selling that to the, the, the kids. And then I started trading crank with them. I was like, this stuff is amazing. Wow. I can get a lot done. Right. Um, and just re- like how fucking dark that was. Dutch, the uh, the head of the biker family, coming over at like four o'clock in the morning, out of their double wide trailer, just going like Leonard, Leonard, you gotta shut the fuck up, man. I'm like, I'm like okay, okay, I just gotta finish this thing first. He's like, what the hell are you even doing? I'm like, I, I'm just scrubbing the moss off my roof with this dish towel. I'm almost done. Um. Like getting stuff done that didn't need to be done. Did that never needed to be done? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I never really did it, but everybody I know who did like took apart computers to try to put yeah, them back together back better. To, exactly. <laughs> you know, tasks like that. Yeah, no, because you. I mean, you have you have superhuman abilities. Find shit that's buried in your face. That <laughs> ow, ow. A lot of face excavation that went on. Um, Courtney came out. We. Uh, we I dropped out of school. We moved to Seattle. Talking, I'm getting water. Okay, get water. We moved to Seattle. Uh, I mean, Seattle, mid-90s. There were no drugs there at that point. None. Um, but I'd also really started... Um, what I'd started to get my shit together on at that point was photography. And... Um, um, 
you know, and it was something that I really loved. And I started shooting for some of the local papers and I wound up shooting a lot of that, you know, the kind of music scene with, that was going on at that point, both, both live stuff and, and portraits. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And that kind of, you know, that, that went, um, hand in hand with the drugs and staying fucked up. And I didn't really need to be too lucid to, to do my job. Right. Um, Courtney and I had a terrible relationship. Um, just awful to each other. Um, wound up breaking up. Were drugs a part of that? I mean, did she do drugs and... Yeah, I mean, she she never really got into speed or any of the harder stuff, but, you know, she smoked a lot of pot and drank a lot, and that was a, that, that, that was a, a big part of our relationship. Um, and, and by the time I left, by the time I left there, I mean, I was, I was a fucking mess. In fact, we had a buddy of mine. I had a, a, a like, really off-the-rails bipolar best friend who was living in our basement at that point. And he finally put me in the back of his van and like drove me back to the East Coast because I was just, I was just a mess. Um, I sorry, I thought you were going to be like and took me down to the river to drown me. When you said bipolar, when you started it with that, I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, okay, and so then, so then, so then, I I was able to through people I'd met in the photo scene in Seattle, I was able to. Um, to get a like an internship an, an assistant position at a fashion studio in London so I moved to London okay and kept taking pictures there for a while and that was the first time that I got strung out <clears throat> which also I mean very much like finding drugs earlier in life every decision that I've made to make myself more fucked up has been completely on my own volition. Right. I, I was really never, I was never pressured once. Yeah. I remember, I re- remember I was living in Earl's court and working on brick lane and I came home once and, 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 um, and, and, uh, you know, you're always looking for the nod from the dealers and I was trying to find some hash and he's like, I don't have any hash. And I was like, what do you have? And he was like, Brown. I was like, what's that? He's heroin. I was like, Oh, I want some of that. Definitely want some of that. Right. And you just snorted it. You didn't know how to shoot it. I I smoked it. I loved smoking things at that point. Mm. Um, I had loved freebasing meth. I had loved, you know, putting cocaine on my cigarettes. Yeah, I, I loved, used to do. Like, what are the Cocoa Puffs? I Cocoa used to do Puffs. That. I thought I was really cool. Loved that shit. So, so I started out chasing the dragon. And... Um, you know, and 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 very quickly, very quickly formed a habit. Yeah. Um, and and didn't have that many people that I used with, but there was this one German guy in my building. I lived in a bed sit. Um, you know, I'd go get fucked up with him, and then I'd say, I'd say I was. I didn't know I was strung out at the time, but right. But you know, I was strung out, and and that that lasted about six months. And, um, and then at one point I went down to find him and, and found him OD'd and dead on his floor oh and had God. probably been that way for a few days. So it was a really gnarly, uh, like rigor mortis. It looked like he had puked blood. So it was just, um, like dried blood caked between all his teeth. 
I called the cops. I freaked out. I, you know, and it's, it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, this is this is dark. This is this should be a wake up call. This should be a wake up call. So I did. I quit. And you were using the same heroin that he was, I'm assuming, that he had on. Ostensibly. Yeah, yeah, I would assume so. I mean, we kind of bought from the same guys in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I quit cold turkey after my first run. And, you know, it, 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 there's no real – there was no awareness of programs or sobriety right. or any – I mean, not for years to come. But, okay, I got I to gotta quit doing heroin. Um, so I quit uh, and moved out of that apartment and just kind of, you know, drank a lot of uh, Guinness and um and had had in the meantime started doing a lot of the live stuff for Time Out magazine in London shooting live stuff shooting live mm-hmm. stuff photography while working at this fashion studio um and and they were just this was right when they were opening up Time Out New York and they asked me if I wanted to go shoot for Time Out New York so I said Totally. And, you know, it was a way to get out of London. It was a way to go to New York with a job. Yeah. Um, so, so I left and I moved to New York City and here we are at New York. That only took <laughs> 54 minutes. No, and the only reason, because you have this flash in your eyes that like a little bit hurt. I'm not saying that I hurt your feelings, but like I'm loving every word you're saying, but I am because you, you please are. Please don't love every word I'm saying. No. <laughs> apologize now for loving every word you're saying um but i but you have you are so busy and so i and i don't i just want you to be aware of the time because i know that we have a time it is one thirty. i'll, I'll tell you what let's do this Uh-oh. let's pause it okay i'm gonna pee okay and, and then, then i'll come back and we'll do like another fi- 15 minutes okay, okay. and you'll tell me exactly what you want to talk okay, about okay okay right. done no i have to press it again there we're back how exciting. How excited. But but just so you guys know, we did not we didn't talk about anything. You didn't prepare me the way that you said you were going to. No, because we're on a time schedule and I think only of you. I also think that it's kind of fun to keep people on their toes a okay, little bit. Keep, keep me on my toes. Um but so okay, we so we got you to New York. Congratulations to both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know you were a photographer. I had no idea oh, about yeah. this, this part of you. I did not know you lived yeah, in London. I didn't know any of this. Think of all I'm learning. The, the internet. The internet. It only tells part of the story. It only really tells part of the story. But the story that it likes to tell is especially about Blair Witch. So, sure. So... This is what, what and you... And you know how much I love to talk about that. I know you have talked about nothing else with me <laughs> constantly. Um... Should we talk about the time that you called me kind of fat? Do you remember this? No, not at all. Okay. Not there, even, not oh, you have no vaguely. idea that like this is like festered in my brain. <coughs> okay. I know we only have 15 minutes. There was one... Okay. Right when I moved back from New York. Uh-huh. And I was back and, and we ran into each other. And I swear to God, you cannot tell me I imagined this. I'm super self-conscious because I'm like relatively thin except in my stomach. Uh-huh. And I swear to God, you walked up to me, and in this like adorable way that you have, you touched my stomach, and you went, "Oh, pooch," or something like that. Oh, I, that that's a totally different thing than than calling you fat. I did somebody like do you I. It now? No, but that I believe I could have done. You did it because I never would have walked up to somebody and been like, "You're kind of fat," right? Right. Um, but but on a fit woman, a tiny little pooch is so sexy. I wish you had said 
that instead of I, just, I, you I, forgot every word but pooch <laughs> in that <laughs> sentence. And I had, I was like, oh my God, Josh Leonard totally thinks I'm fat. And I remember I went to like, no. I went out with people afterwards. I was at Swingers talking about it. And I'm, they're just I'm like, a, I'm sure he does not I'm, sure. I'm a no. horrible human being. No, I mean, I'm now so, that you filled I mean, in the rest of the sentence, I feel Inadvertently to- horrible. No, I would never, I would never come up, especially to somebody who, who's not like an intimate friend and right. point out something that I thought was a flaw. Right, right, um, right. It was, it was, it was definitely something that, uh. Yeah, no, and you did do it. There was like, there was like, it was. It was it, there was an affection, right? There was an affection, and it was said admiringly. What you don't know is that I'm. Well, you do know I'm female, but like I, like I'm, I'm normal with food and eating, just barely. You know what I mean? Like scratch. Like I'm totally. I'm. I'm so grateful because I like know. You know, I come from a family that's crazy with food, uh-huh. but it's like get me a little bit going. And I can so be there and just like body dysmorphia and like obsessing over it. Oh, that's, uh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. No, this was, I did not bring you here and start tape recording. No, this I'm, I'm really, apology. I mean, this was also, you know, we, we, as, as boys becoming men, learn things about women and learn rules as, totally. as the years go on that we don't know earlier and, and, uh. Yeah. No, but the thing was, I will, like, when I was, like, saying, like, I would sort of, I, like, sort of said it to someone. They were like, Anna, he didn't call you fat. Like, I knew that I was going crazy with okay. it. Okay. You know what I mean? D- like, yeah. Okay, I'm so glad we could work through that. Um, I'm, I'm really no, sorry. No, don't feel really, like, I, 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 um. um by the way, yeah. have you seen my 15 to 20 pound weight fluctuation in the years since? Totally came back on me. <laughs> No, I don't. Um, I don't and and I've definitely had people come up and be like, you're pretty big right now, aren't you? You do that? Yeah. You I can't mean, do they... that to a woman. I mean, people don't do that to women. I mean, I've been 25 pounds heavier than I am now. Oh. And nobody said a word except my parents who ordered me to a nutritionist and paid for it. <laughs> That's very sweet. Yeah. Huh. I mean, some of the food As, as, as opposed them. to my Jewish mother who's like, you look so healthy. Yeah, you must be eating. Thank God. Oh yeah. I mean, right now I am. I'm. 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 I'm at. I'm at my most comfortable. Like, I mean, I'm pretty much in shape. I'm eating healthy. You look this, great. This is. This is what my body looks like, and um, and according to my mother, I'm starving myself. I mean, I'm 180 pounds. I'm not starving myself. Oh my God! If we could combine our two mothers, much like if we could combine us, we'd be perfect. Yeah, my mother's 99 pounds. She's four. She's four eleven. Not a lot. My mother's four eleven too. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, we have so much in common. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, and, and my mom doesn't eat flour, sugar, and it's what? just like yeah, no, definitely notices every. And I had a grandmother, not her mother, interestingly. So it comes from both sides. Who would greet me with a like? She'd give me a little like air kiss in, in my ear. Go, you've gained weight. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it fascinating? At this age, every time you realize, you're like, oh, it's my fucking mother again? Yeah. Oh, it's my grandma. It's that thing that happened to me when I was five Zero to seven. Zero to seven. Everything important happens. All the stuff we need to undo. It's insane. I know. It's so tiresome. Um... So, okay, but here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. You, okay, so so this is what a quote that I read that you said about the Blair Witch Project. It was just another thing that happened in the confluence of events of being young and really high in New York and trying to figure out to, what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Accurate? 
Totally accurate. And so, yes, how- I did say that. And that would and and let's just contextualize. I made Blair Witch Project while I was still loaded. Yeah. It came out when I was sober. Right. So because there was about a year and a half, almost two years, between the time that we shot the movie and when it actually even um, – I mean, I was I was in sober living when I went to Sundance. Yeah, I knew that because they describe it as a halfway house, and I love how the press will do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you sound like you're yeah. So so yeah, you were in sober living when you went on the Tonight Show to promote the movie. I don't know if I was in. I think I was probably living in, uh, just out of there. I was definitely there. No, because by the time the movie came out. By the time the movie came out, I'd moved in with one of the producers and his family. I mean, literally into a broom closet in their house in Sherman Oaks. Um, And that's where I was when the movie came out. And then I I shared an apartment in West Hollywood with a guy. So I was out of sober living at that point. But definitely when we were at Sundance and doing press, doing the first wave of press. Brand newly sober, like still going to these parties at Sundance and going back and checking in with the sober house two, three times a day. And I remember I went to Sundance uh, newly sober and it was extremely challenging. Actually, you were distracted by being like the star of Sundance, right? Well, and, and also I'd been there the year before that was 99. Yeah. In 98, I had been at Sundance as a photographer for black book magazine which was my first year at Sundance, and I'd driven, I'd driven like an '84 Chevy Nova across the country because I decided I was going to kick heroin at Sundance on a road trip to Sundance, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and like sleeping in my car half the time and sweating. I mean, the bad ideas of of of. All the ways that I thought I was going to kick heroin. I mean, that's are, a phenomenally bad one. Oh, yeah. I mean, not quite as bad as the time I decided I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail and be totally detoxed by oh, the end. God. That was pretty bad, too. Um, but yeah, so showed up at Sundance with a gig because I'd traveled with all my gear and, you know, I liked road trips and it seemed it seemed like I would actually, like, get a shot at kicking if I spent the three days driving out there. Um, showed up sick as a dog, yeah. um, and proceeded my buddy. What's funny is my buddy, Mark E, who was a sober guy. He was the writer okay. on, on the black book piece, never revealed that he was sober. Marky. E. Uh, Mikey. Sorry. I'm getting distracted. Go Mark. on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Mark. Uh, yeah. Wrote an expose on Scientology. No, the guy well. Of, yeah. Yeah. He was the writer on this piece. Okay, hilarious. So I was crashing on his floor, kicking every time we would go in to do because uh, he would profile people and I'd take their picture. Right. So we'd get into their rooms. I mean, I must have stolen 
half of Paul Schrader's medicine cl- closet. Oh, so that was just a way in. So you'd get into their rooms. So I'd get into their rooms, and while Mark was interviewing them, yeah, and I was them. setting up the lights for the shot, I would just start raiding and then you, there's good their stuff. prescriptions. They would bring good stuff to Sundance. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I took a lot of heart medicine. I, I don't <laughs> even know what I took, but it kind of got me through. Right, right. Um, through your so-called kick. And And so what was funny was... And I remember the staircase up to the condo that we were staying at feeling, uh, you know, it was, would you say, would you say Sisyphusian or Herculean? It was Herculean. Either are good. It was. It, to get up there. It, it, yes. It, it, to get up there. It felt like this staircase went on for 8,000 miles. Right. When I was dope sick at Sundance. And the next year I was there with Blair Witch. Right. You know, was sober five or six months at that point. And I was like, oh, that's, that takes me like three minutes to get up. Oh, you stayed in the same place. We, I stayed around the right, same place, right, not right. in the exact yeah, same place. Yeah, perception is reality. Yep. Um, so, okay, so, so you got, how did Blair Witch come just quickly? Like, how did that come to be in your life? Blair Witch, I was doing, um... Oh, so I got, so I got very strung out again. I can't go into the whole mystic fire thing, but somehow at like 19, I got this job working at a new Trey video company where I got to hang out with like Allen Ginsberg and Judith Molina and like meet Kenneth Anger and like all these like people who were my fucking heroes. Right. And, um. And and I was very strung out and 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 it was it's funny because I saw Kill Kill Your Darlings last night and I was just I was thinking about and and uh, Harry Potter uh, Daniel Radcliffe yeah. does a wonderful job he was so good in that movie um, like playing the. Um, the life and the heart and the hope of, of, of like the, the inception of the beat scene. Mm-hmm. And by the time I met these people who I'd idolized for years for Langetti, um, most of them were like angry, like angry and dark. Like Ginsburg was a fucking prick by the time I met him. Well, and really full blown in addiction. Many of mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. you know, and that was the thing. And a lot of them just, a lot of them just smoke pot. But I remember Judith from, uh, living theater would just literally like made these pinner joints and would just smoke one after the other, after the other, after the other, talking about how the revolution was coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was the sad byproduct of people who kind of like at a time and a place in a sick in the sixties where it seemed like a people's revolution was actually going to, was actually going to happen, was actually going to like change the way we acted as a culture <clears throat> and then it didn't happen, but the uh, the the rhetoric never changed. Right. So it was kind of the same rhetoric that had been used for 35, 40 years, but had been deemed totally impotent at that point. So it was, and and and, and in order to keep saying it, you got to stay really stoned and right. and make your world really small. Right. And so, you know, and, and, and I'll never take away the influence that those people did have on me and, 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 you know, what important things I think they brought to the world. But, 
but by the time I got there, it was it was it was all pretty bleak. Um, so strung out. But part of the way that I'd, I'd gotten into that scene was working for this film company and becoming kind of the go-to videographer. So in addition to the photography, um, I bought one of the first. It was a VX one thousand, one of the first digital video cameras, Sony video cameras. And um, and learn on on one of the first uh, online editing softwares on a Media 100 that was, you know, at my boss's house in Soho, and it was probably the size of this room mm-hmm. to do, you know, a tenth as much as what I do on my laptop now. Right. Um, and and so when when somebody brought up this idea for Blair Witch, and and I was just in that state, I was I was you know. A, 20 21 year old junkie living in new york like wearing leather pants hanging out with like old beat poets and i really it it was that thing where i was like you know i'll be famous like maybe as an actor right maybe as a model maybe as a spoken word poet maybe as a writer like so you didn't even want to be an actor no. even though your dad was a drama teacher no i mean that's probably part of why i didn't want to be an actor Okay, and so... So Blair Witch came up, and I hadn't really been acting. Somebody brought it up, and they were like, they need somebody who can run a video camera. And it was because it was an improvised movie. It was just about, um, you know, this kind of, like, amalgamation of three personalities and and somebody who could, you know, one of those people had to be able to film it all. So I met with... That's why you got the role? That's totally why I got the role. Okay. That is completely – and they cast me. I went in to meet with Ed, who was one of the two directors, and brought him all this, like, videography stuff that I'd done. I'd just been down in Peru shooting on a posthumous Joseph Campbell film that my boss was making. And, um, you know, and I, I showed him all this stuff, and was it was really more about the tech of it. And he cast me right there. And then it was another year before they actually made the film. So by the time they raised, because I think they had to raise like another, you know, eight or ten thousand dollars, which took them a right. year to do, because um, they were messengers at that point. And um, and so when they were ready to make the film, they started. I became the constant, and they started bringing people in to improvise off me, which was how. We narrowed it down. It was like open call New York City. So it was a ton of people. And that's how we narrowed it down to Mike and Heather. And it was the three of us who wound up doing the movie together. And so clearly you had no idea what a sensation it would be. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. In fact, I had, I was making $500 a week for two weeks, which was how long it took us to make the movie. So I made $1,000 to make that movie. And then I had a back end point on the film. Oh and I God. tried desperately to get more money instead. I tried desperately to sell that point for five hundred dollars. Wait, should I ask? It's tacky to ask how much money you must have made, but an insane amount of money. No, when when all was said and done, because I, I mean, let's clear this myth up once and for all. Because for years, um, I think it said on Wikipedia, maybe it still does, that I made like four four million dollars off the film. People who know me know that I, you know, I make money and then I go broke and that's just what I do. Um, and I'd be an asshole if I made that much money. And, and still went broke. And like. still went broke. Um, 
we, by the time all was said and done and we took artists and the distributors to federal court in New York to get just what they owed us, um, I think my payout was about $300,000. So I made a lot more money than I had anticipated making. Right, but not insane. But not, it, it wasn't, it wasn't retirement money. Right. Um, so, okay. And so then, <clears throat> and so then that even though, you know, being the sensation of the moment doesn't necessarily guarantee a goddamn thing. No. At all. So that must have also been a shock. I think that, or was it not? You know, you're sort of the biggest thing for a second. And then. Well, what's weird I'll tell you the white limo story and then... Then you've got to leave. I've been trying to keep you out leave. for like half an hour. Um, so when all this first started happening, I just... Uh, Bellamy, my friend that I was telling you about that yeah. I was at the movie with last night. Uh, we dated for four years in my early sobriety. I'd just met her. I'd fallen in love. Um, you know, all this, all this stuff was happening and it was very easy at that point to go... Um, people are like, I can't believe you stayed sober through that. I was like, that was the easiest thing to stay sober through because it was like I got sober and like everything amazing happened yeah. all at once. Right. You're like, this sobriety thing works. All you, your dreams You're like, true. oh, oh, this is this is incredible. Right. This is this is God's will. Yeah. I got I mean, I'm supposed to ride in a town car all the time. Right. This is what happened. I mean, I had gone from, you know, from sleeping in Tompkins Square Park to like a bunk bed to, you know, making really decent money and getting to work with awesome people and having people give me lots of free shit. Right. <clears throat> um, so, so here was the trajectory was, um, because it really was, people talk about overnight success and, and as you and I both know, lots of things that people call overnight success are like somebody who's been humping it for like yeah. 10, 15 years and all of a sudden something breaks and people right. are like, he came out of nowhere. Right, right. We didn't even know who she was before this. But but like internally they've been working their ass off. This, this was, was not the case for this you. This was not the case. I was I was a junkie. I got sober. I'd done one movie, and all of a sudden, I was on the cover of Newsweek. Right, um, and and so so I got the experience of being insanely famous for like ten minutes, um, and so the first like the first few months of it, I was like, God's will, man. Yeah, this this is like of service sponsor. Checking in, meetings, speaker tape, right. first priority. Like would go to do a, a film and, and put my phone number with friends Bill on the call sheets, meetings at lunch. Like this is all like, – th- like I get that this is what I need to do right. off the top. Right. And then you get busy and you start slacking off a little bit. So about six months later and, – and, and I'm just grateful for everything. Right. And I'm like the kindest – most grateful right. person you'll ever meet. About six months later, um, we're going to present at the MTV Awards, Mike and Heather and I. And um, and the limo pulls up. And uh, and the publicist is like, okay, come on. Got to get you guys out of here. We've got an appointment on the red carpet in 15 minutes. And I go, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. I can't go. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, it's a white limo. Oh my god! They're like, and 
I was like, sorry guys, white limos are tacky. I'm not going to go to an award show in a white limo. Oh my God. And they were like, ha, that's really funny. I was like, no, I'm dead fucking serious. I'm not going to go to an award show in a white limo. So they had to call in and get a black limo. You're kidding me. Okay. And, and they brought us in and we were late to do the carpet and blah, blah, blah. And in my, like, that's how crazy I had gone yeah. in that yeah. short a time yeah. span. Yeah. Um, had no idea and was like saying it nicely. Right, right, right. I was like, and it seemed you, reasonable to you. You guys can go. You guys can totally go. Right. Uh, I mean, I still hold to the fact that white limos are tacky, but, um, but the fact. I don't disagree, but yeah. The fact that I had gone from nothing. Yeah. To being picky over the color of the limo that I was being driven to an award show in was, um, like, I hated being that famous. I hated it. I love my job. I love working in movies. Um, You hated it because it made you that asshole or just because you lost privacy or... And I think part of this is is also because I was so fresh in sobriety and so young at the same time. But I hated the the loss of privacy. I hated... um, I, 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 I hated the fact that... I mean, I'm coming up on 15 years and if I am not vigilant, I am as susceptible as anybody right. to like spending way too much time caring about the wrong shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, the amount of times that I've, I've, I've kind of like come back to a recalibration point in my life and thought like all, like everything that I was stressed about for however long I was stressed about it doesn't matter at all. Like, and it was all-encompassing moments before that. I mean, I do think that that we live in a society that's so fucked with the messages it gives us about what's important. And we live in a city, and you are in a business that is so fucked about the, what is important. And it takes constant vigilance to not be at all susceptible to it, you know? I, I know just... I, I, I mean, and if that's possible, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I and and I think um, sobriety, age, and 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 finding like those four or five people who are your lifers and fucking holding them close because right. you know I, I I've you know I've got I've got a handful of people who have been in my in my life now for over a decade, right? Who um. Who I trust implicitly. Right. When they're like, dude, you're being a cocksucker. I'm like, oh, I'm probably being a cocksucker. But it also feels bad now, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're aware of it yeah. when you're doing it. And it feels shitty. I mean. I, I, but but as you, you probably know, being aware of something and not doing it are two yeah. totally separate things. No, that's that's true. That's true. And You know, and that's such a big realization is, is being the guy who's like... Look, I'm just an asshole sometimes. Right. I'm sorry, and that's right. just the way I am. Right. It's so not the same as not being an asshole. It's, yes, I know. And it's it's funny how similar, how close it seems. At the time. Yeah. It, um, yeah, totally true. Um, Anna, what do you want to know? Okay, well, yeah. No, we're wrapping up. I kicked you out like 10 minutes ago. You're just lucky that I'm not 
showing that. Um, so okay, and so now, now, and now you've become a director, um, and so I, I mean, it's hard to summarize the last. I mean, I guess fifteen years, right? In a <laughs> sentence, but you know, and I almost, you know, so and I do want to talk a little bit about. So you know, you gave me that. So this letter, you, when your brother, uh, you know, was sort of circling the drain with yeah. addiction. He wrote this. The most- this was a year ago. This was a year ago. He just he celebrated a year on Thursday, and and what's today? Today Sunday. Yeah. So, so a year ago today, um, we were in massive triage with him. And there, there was the way that letter was just so. Um, it just is so unjudgmental and so. Um, it just was so compassionate and unjudgmental. And yeah, I mean, I've had, so we published it on After Party Chat and then went on Salon too. And yeah, I mean, I just heard from, from so many people. And, and then, I, and, you know, even when you put on Facebook, the comments, it was just, it was amazing. Um, and I know that was kind of a, like, a big thing for you to put out there in a way. It, it was, and it was also, if, if you knew my brother, um, the fact that he gave permission for it was um was pretty unbelievable right um cuz i cuz i definitely i mean look it's me i was putting my name on it i was also happy to do it anonymously but right i i always like i always like when i read something and somebody's owning it with their name so yeah. i was going to put it out there but it was it talked about my family right right and um, and the fact that my family was so supportive of it, and literally what it was was um, um yeah I don't know I don't know if we talk about my brother you might actually make me cry um, yeah you thought I forgot yeah no 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 wait wait a wait a wait a misdirect um. But yeah, I was I was really happy to be able to do it because it was <clears throat> in that way that you see with the people that you love and you so rarely see in yourself. Um, like you can actually you actually have a vantage point to the miracle. Right. Um, when when somebody actually does make that change, and and um, I have a relationship with my brother now. A year into his sobriety, that was impossible, and I had really become one of those guys who was like, "Okay, I, I just, you know, one of those guys I never wanted to be." Who's who's like, "Yeah, I haven't talked to my brother in ten years. Right. We just lead separate lives, and I hope he's not dead." Right. Um, and I never wanted to be that person, but it had just become so painful and so impossible. Um, and that was kind of. That was that was the last. It was the last act of um, it was it was it was kind of the last act of love that I had in me. Right. Um, was to just was to just tell him tell him where I'd been. Tell him how much I believed in him. Um, if 
if he was willing to surrender to this process and then leave it up to him. And were you surprised that it, that it got through to him? You know, it was really, um, it was really fucking amazing. And, and when I tell this story, it sounds like I, it, 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 it sounds like I'm taking credit for something that I would never take credit for. I mean, this was God and love and family and like all the, um, and, and him hitting a, hitting a bottom and acknowledging it and, and all the things that, that happened. But, but there was, there was a point where, um, he was doing exactly what I did before I was thrown in rehab, which is, you know, I'm going to get sober, but I'm going to do it on my own. And, um, and I was dealing with some, some massive codependence issues in the family at that point. So, so I was, you know, I was able as a guy who's, who's been around for a while and, 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 and had a front row seat to not only my own, um, overcoming of an opiate addiction, but also seen many others go through it (laughs) to kind of go like, this is what I've seen work and this is what I've seen not work and and you know had my lovely mother on the other end going well you know he is he is keeping a chart he was at 80 oxys last week he's down to 60 this week he's planning to like like he's you know he's really on a taper down and and i mean we've all learned a lot through the process but the impossibility of just like being at that point where you're like everything could change but I can't force it to change and doing that Al-Anon practice of going um, I can get you a free bed and a rehab I'm here for whatever you need if, um, if you're willing to make the big surrender and not try to do this on your own and if and if you can't do that i can't i can't sit next to you and and watch you kill yourself through half measures right um and so that so writing that letter was the one thing that 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 i could do that was clean that didn't get you know it didn't get into the back and forth of like deal making or that shit that that you always get sucked into if you're talking to somebody who's deep in their addiction right and um and so i sent it and uh and he called me and and even sending it i was like i was like i I wonder if he's just i wonder if this is just gonna piss him off it might just piss him off right um and uh, and later on that day, he called me and, and he goes, "My brother, my brother, uh, hip hop producer." He goes, "Yo, uh, will you um, will you print that letter out and send it to me?" And uh, and I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm gonna take that shit into rehab with me," and it was the first time oh, okay. that he'd been willing at all. And so, um, wow. you know, so whatever it was, I mean, and, and that's not, 
again, it's not love is not love is like the opposite of ego. So any help that you can give to somebody that you love in those situations is never, it's never like, look what I did. It's like, look what, you know, look what, what, look what God has given me the capacity for. Right. Um, and, and so in publishing it, I think a big, I, I think a big part of it was just going like, like, look, the amount of times that I've been like a selfish asshole since I wrote that letter and like vastly imperfect or, you know, you can never count them. But like in that moment, that was a moment of like pure love. Right. And, um, and, and, and I know, you know, I know how hard that is for people to get through when they're dealing with something so impossible as, uh, you know, as a dying loved one. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Great. I mean, what are you going to do? You can go back to like... Yeah, where can I go? And I mean, I could keep going, but I don't want to see the nah. tears running down your face. I'd feel... I'd feel yeah. It's good. I'm swallowing all of them right um, now. Thank you so much, Joshua. Oh, you're so welcome. Joshua Leonard. Um, Anna. This, this was a real pleasure. Thank you for not calling me Anna. Um, thank you. I'm stopping. I'm really stopping. 